In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Those are beautiful and prophetic words when we greet each other that way. That's why I always say that. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. We can't just take it for granted. We need to proclaim it. You know, it's real to us. So when we see each other, I love saying Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be a proclamation of what we believe. That Christ is among us when we gather with one another. Today we have the, the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday of Matthew. Today also is actually the dormition or the falling asleep of righteous Anna, which is held in the church's tradition. It's not in the scripture, but it's maintained in the church's tradition. And we celebrate the, the departure from this earthly life of the grandmother of Christians. We commemorate Saints Joachim and Anna because we know that by a miracle of God, they overcame the shame of barrenness. And they serve as a witness to us as, as patient reliance and trust in God's providence overcame barrenness at an old age and they prayed to God that he would grant them a child and they granted the most, our most holy lady, the Theotokos, the birth giver of God. That's what Theotokos means. And so we, we even celebrate the, the life and memory and we commemorate the departure of the grandmother of Christians. And we, we read about it last night a little bit and during Orthros we heard hymns for the resurrection and also for the remission of St. Anna. This gospel reading that we have today from Matthew 8 is also in the other synoptic gospels, though a little different in the other two synoptics. And you know, I don't know if you're, you know that term, synoptic, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in their storytelling. They're very similar in their recounting of the life of Christ. So they're so similar, they're called synoptic, meaning similar. St. John, the theologian, in his gospel, that's called, some people have called it the mystagogic or theological gospel, and we call him the theologian because his gospel tells us a lot more about the theology of Christ. In all three of the synoptic gospels, and this comes right after Jesus had calmed the tempest in the sea, crossing over. The disciples were afraid. Jesus was sleeping on the boat and he calmed the tempest. And now he comes to this country called the Gergesenes, or also referred to as the Gadarenes. having exercised his authority over the created world as only God can do. Calming that tempest in the sea, now he calms the tempest within these demon-possessed men. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that there are two demon-possessed men. 
Do you remember what the story goes like in Luke? There's just one. One is mentioned. I looked it up a little bit. St. John Chrysostom says that there were two, but in the other synoptics, the, author, the authors decided to place emphasis on the fiercest of the two demoniacs who were exorcised in this account. It's interesting that the demons recognize Jesus. They referred to him as son of God and they knew what that meant. We've talked about that, what son of God means. To to be a son of God means to be one with God. It's an interesting and a sorrowful contrast to what happened to the people of the Gergesenes after the miracle had taken place. Because they would not acknowledge Jesus according to his power to heal, but they begged him to depart from them. One commentator talking about this passage, he says, rhetorically, is not the presence of Christ always a threat to our private life and our affairs? Does it not require changes that are too hard for us? People like to say, God will not give us that which is beyond our ability. I disagree with that. He does give us that which is beyond our ability. Because remember, with men, not all things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. He gives us that which is beyond our ability, but not with Him. Not without Him, excuse me. He presents himself to us and and it does pose a threat to our identity as it did to these people. Requires a change that is too hard for us alone. For oftentimes we do not want to change, but I believe that we can. I've heard it said, people don't change or people can't really change. That's another thing I disagree with. (laughs) We don't want to change a lot of times because it's hard to. We lose our identity as we know it when we change. It's frightening. We don't know what to expect and we just don't want to sometimes. If we knew what an offering this God-man was giving to us, we would say with all of our heart and with total abandonment, thy will be done. So, we need to learn from the bad example of the Gergesenes and not try to send Christ away when the truth spoken to us poses a threat in our life in some way. In both Mark and Luke, the sinister powers oppressing and possessing in this story identify not by a single name, 
It wasn't in today's reading, but when Jesus said, What is your name? In the Gospel of Luke, Mark and Luke, they respond, Our name is Legion. Legion, many. It's something of a battalion of many unseen oppressors, many demons that had entered into the men. The same commentator offers some powerful insight. He says, perhaps the man who who responded on behalf of the demons, saying, we are legion, perhaps he had seen a Roman legion, that inexorable force, which is both a multitude and a unity. In the same way, if we give in to sin, we become legion. Our instincts, our mental images, all our psychic elements take on a chaotic independence. The will weakened by each successive fall is in no state to regain possession of them and coordinate them. Our whole personality becomes dissociated and disintegrates. God alone can gather these broken fragments and mend them. Unite my heart, we ask of him in Psalm 86. And this mending, beloved in Christ, is is indeed what Christ comes to offer each of us in the healing tradition of the church. Christ, who alone has the authority over life and over death, over demons and the devil, also has authority over the disarray within his creatures. One thing I constantly reflect on is that Christ came not to fix us, but to heal us. To reintegrate. To heal and make us whole. Surely He grants us the freedom to attach our will to His. And we must if we want to be healed. This is the meaning of our salvation. The word salvation, we could say, means healing. That's what we believe in the therapeutic tradition of the Orthodox Church. Submitting ourselves to the regeneration accomplished by Christ, beginning at our baptism and chrismation. There's a quotation that we love in my household. St. Diadokos of Fotiki. He says, all of us who are human beings are in the image of God. But to be in his likeness belongs only to those who by great love have attached their freedom to God. This beautiful work of attaching one's freedom to God is what begins with our entry into the church. And the entirety of our lives is spent experiencing this attachment of ourselves to God, which we don't always do so effectively. That's when we try to engraft ourselves into the life-taking vines of this world while simultaneously being engrafted into the life-giving vine of Christ, which is His very body, the church. Makes us at odds with ourselves. The two are unfortunately incompatible, not because our Lord despises the world and not because He doesn't want us to have fun, 
but because we've replaced the true and unsurpassable joy that comes from attaching ourselves to Christ with the fleeting fondness that the world has to offer. Perpetuation of brokenness, adding to the legion of chaotic independence rather than cultivating intimate union with the one who loves us and who wants not to make us what we are not, but to make us what we truly are. It's a big shift between different versions of Christianity. He comes to make us what we truly are. Not to to just free us from some corrupt version that we aren't, to, to refine, to sanctify. The whole of our life consists of this beautiful work, which begins with our baptism and chrismation, our regeneration and our receiving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is planted like a seed within us that we have to water, we have to cultivate. (laughs) With tears sometimes, with repentance and with love, with godliness. This feels especially close to me today. And some of you who were here yesterday... I've said baptism and chrismation two or three times already in the homily because it feels very, very close since we just celebrated the miracle of holy baptism yesterday. Right here. Right here. In this room. If you entered into the nave this morning and you felt like you were walking into the cloud of God's presence, not just the incense, especially palpable today, like those who joined him on Mount Tabor, it's no doubt because of the manifestation that he accomplished right here just yesterday. So humble and so sacred and so heavenly. Once again, the waters were sanctified. A newly enlisted soldier of Christ plunged into them. And once again, The tomb became a womb. (laughs) The waters of death became the waters of life. We reclaimed the unwieldiness of the waters, the raging waters of this world. And new life was given. And just yesterday we called upon him to exercise authority over the unseen powers as well. In the exorcism that we do, We call out the devil. And in referring to this gospel account, we acknowledge him who has not power even over swine. The devil and his imps fled from this place yesterday. They do not want to be present where God's love is, they don't like redemption. They don't like healing. That's why they want to deceive us into thinking that we cannot be healed. They do want to deceive us into thinking that love is also something other than that which is revealed uniquely and perfectly in the person of our Lord Jesus. And because we experienced this awesome mystery of baptism and chrismation yesterday, Because God did something here. 
our God who works wonders and who's about to do something here today in the divine liturgy. I want to conclude the homily by sharing one of the most profound reflections that I've ever encountered on the reality of our baptismal identity. And how our baptism comes to bear on us not just as then, something that happened then, but as now, continuously through our ascetical life. We like that word, asceticism, ascesis, spiritual struggle in the Orthodox Church, because our patron reminds us we've got to work out our faith, work it out with fear and trembling. And that's what the ascetical life, the spiritual struggle is about being intentional about living our life in Christ. Not just something that happens to us, but something that happens with us. We're synergists in the Orthodox Church. We believe in free will. So through living a life of authentic struggle, we appropriate, we continue the work that began in our baptism and chrismation. Here's a reflection. I'll send it out to you as well on our mailing list. It's so beautiful and worthy of contemplation by a holy Romanian Orthodox man who is slated to be canonized as a saint. Very contemporary. I think he might have reposed within the last decade. Father Dimitri Staniloi. And it goes like this. The mystery of baptism isn't only a momentary realization of a mystical death and resurrection by the one who is baptized. It's also the inauguration of a process in which this death and resurrection continue until perfection. This death is again, this death is the negative aspect of asceticism. It is a struggle against the old man of sin. The resurrection is the positive aspect. It is the raising of the new man of the virtues. Death is joined with suffering. We stifle and cut away from us a kind of life which has become our own, but then we realize that the Lord too died suffering. And by our suffering, we too take part in what He suffered. In this sense, asceticism is our participation in the death and resurrection of the Lord, in the continuation and actualization of baptism by our personal efforts to work again with Christ in this healing, salvific work. Christ as the source of the power which sustains the effort of asceticism is the force, is the nature both of the virtues as the positive side of asceticism as well as the struggle against the old man. Christ directs the work of slaying the old man of sin in us. Not only by the power which he gives us from the inside out to fight willingly against sinful habits, but also by troubles and afflictions of every kind which he permits to come to us. If we accept these troubles, they gradually purify us. If we revolt, they sink us deeper into sin. 
Christ is the one who gives us the power to endure them, to suffer afflictions. In this sense, he participates with us in our sufferings. And in this sense, too, he is humbled with us, burying himself in a kenosis, a self-emptying, in a death which he repeats in each of our lives. It is the death which at the same time is an exaltation. Orthodox spirituality as a Christocentric character, a Christ-centered character. And this Christocentrism is accentuated by the role of the mysteries, the sacraments, as the means whereby Christ dwells in man. So it is the source of indispensable divine power for ascetical efforts and for the living of the mystical life with Christ. It follows that orthodox spirituality also has a spirit-inspired ecclesiastical character because where Christ is through the mysteries, where he manifests himself, there is the church full of the spirit in him. For only the church imparts Christ as his body by means of the mysteries. Someone can't become or remain a limb, a member of Christ, unless he's integrated into and becomes a part of his mystical body as a well-arranged assembly of many members. Faith as the power of spiritual growth comes into man from Christ, but through the church or through his body, full of the spirit of communion. A man's faith grows from that of the church community in which Christ is the worker by His Holy Spirit. By baptism, man enters into a relationship with Christ, but also in the atmosphere of faith, which as a divine power inspires the church community. Not stimulated and inspired continually by the faith of the church community, no one can be in a condition to stay in the faith or to grow in it and share its fruits. If someone progresses in the virtues which grow from faith and culminate in love, it means that he shows his working love to his neighbors and that he strives for the growth of the same faith in them. It means that he grows in communion with everyone in Christ by the Spirit. But this is the same as working for the strengthening of the church by taking a responsibility for it. So the life that begins in holy baptism is the integration into a life which is the life in Christ, but is unto Christ and also with one another. We become inextricably, inextricably bound to one another. And our healing takes place when we cultivate that awareness of our identity in Him. We need to talk more about the spiritual life with one another. I like to use the language of fluency. We need to develop fluency, not just to do fancy talk. Kenosis, theosis, Christocentrism. You know, to use fancy words. Use them if they're helpful. But we need to learn to speak from the heart to one another. Be one heart communicating to another heart that's listening and receptive, willing to share life with one another. Lifting each other up. Christ reveals himself to us through one another by the grace of the Holy Spirit 
and emboldens us in the faith through one another. But just like our individual ascetical efforts that have to be intentional, so our life together must be intentional. Like it means other things can wait sometimes so that you can actually give your undivided attention to another person. And not just for personal enjoyment. But to encourage, to strengthen, to be encouraged. To be willing to hear what God has to say. And we have something to learn from one another, every one of us. If we believe in God, He'll reveal Himself in and through us to one another, even despite us. Because He loves us that much. So this is our purpose. This is our manner and our way in Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit. If we take this life and this calling and this healing seriously, we're proven to be, I use a fancy word because it sounds cool, ecclesial beings, people of the church. We are ecclesial beings, members of one another who are called out. That's what the church is. Ecclesia in Greek means those who are called out called forth to life in Christ together. We're called and proven even to be ecclesial beings, members of the church who work out our salvation together, each uniquely together. We work out our salvation, each uniquely together. The perfect expression of unity and diversity. Christ makes us one while yet allowing each one to be distinct and a beautiful expression of his unbounded love. When we attach ourselves to him and we trust him, he brings us through the tempests of life, the chaos and confusion of sin, which we unfortunately often invite by dallying with the demons. He doesn't extricate us from the storm of life on this side of eternity, sorry. But he does bring us closer to the eye of the storm. Where he stands. And as we unite ourselves to one another, being united to him, it forms kind of a a chain. A living vine standing in the midst of the tempest of life. Swirling around us. Of those who have received his love. Together constantly reaching out beyond ourselves into the maelstrom and pulling forth from the flying debris, others who were caught in the chaos. Don't limit yourself by thinking that there's nothing you can do to to reach and help other people. You cannot do it alone. With Christ you can. You need to learn to trust Him just a little bit more. A little bit more each day. Not overnight, glow-in-the-dark elder, floating saint but little by little, humbly trusting in God, that even He can manifest a pure love through you. What a beautiful Savior we have, who has entered into the tempests that we have created in the cosmos and within ourselves. And He calls us forth, exercising the authority that He has over life and death as the only most true perfect and humble lover of mankind. Invite him into your tempest. 
and lock your arms with your fellow Christians in this life. Gain eyes to see the wonders that He works in this community that He wants to do in the lives of one another. We join with the psalmist again, praying, unite our heart, O Lord, unite our hearts. Look down from heaven and behold, visit this vine and perfect that which thy right hand hath planted to the glory of thy holy name. Amen.